If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight, to go, the Canucks get the green light to play this season at home in Vancouver. Plus... And as far as we're concerned, that restaurant should be closed and find way more than $2,300. The restaurant industry speaks out about the establishment busted for hosting a big New Year's Eve party. And... So that was three fires in the span of nine days. Living on a powder keg, a series of suspected arsons has residents of a Richmond condo building frightened for their safety. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. The Premier made it official today. The Vancouver Canucks are being allowed to play their home games this season at Rogers Arena. The team has been waiting for the past few weeks for final approval from the province, with training camp beginning today and the start of the season set to begin in just 10 days. This morning, John Horgan made it official. BC comes the second becomes the second province, rather, to approve NHL games after Alberta gave its okay last month. The new North Division will see the seven Canadian franchises play each other instead of crossing into the United States. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us. Keith, what exactly did Oregon say today? You know, we pressed uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix a couple of times last week uh, to say whether or not it's a go at Rogers Place because uh, Alberta's announced already Calgary and Edmonton and basically didn't want to provide an answer, obviously perhaps wanting to let his boss make the disclosure and again on Twitter, as is John Horgan's one. Here's what he had to say on Twitter uh, today. He just said, after speaking with Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini yesterday about the NHL's return to play plan, I'm pleased to confirm the enhanced health measures being put in place for the upcoming season means games can safely be played here in BC. That's from Premier John Horgan. No official announcement beyond that yet. Uh, but in terms of the enhanced health measures, Colleen, I'm sure we're talking about more testing and regular testing of players and them being kept in a very tight bubble. As you mentioned, the team's only playing other Canadian teams. The Canucks will open their season January 13th in Edmonton. Two games there, followed by two games with the Flames. And then the Montreal Canadiens come to town on uh, January tw uh, 20th. So again, it's a go for the Canucks to the green light for the season to begin. I think a lot of people could be happy about that. But I can tell you, public health officials will be watching very closely to make sure no COVID cases erupt within these tightly controlled bubbles. It will be a very different situation than it was for the playoffs this summer. Mm -hmm. So curious to see how that goes. Tomorrow, three days of case numbers will be released mm -hmm. at the uh, briefing on Monday. What do you expect from that? Yeah, I think they're going to be high numbers because we saw on Friday a number of release that was significantly higher than the days before. And the reason for that is, you again, you sort of do the math when, when you look at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when people were likely gathering numbers they're not supposed to. So you count five to seven days after those two days because that's when symptoms start to show up. That's when people go get tested. So presumably if enough people got tested over the weekend, we're going to see some, we're going to see evidence one way or another whether people followed the rules or basically did not follow the rules. If it's a high number 
number tomorrow of 600, 700, 800. That means people didn't follow the rules. If it's a lower number, it means people did. Let's hope for a lower, num lower uh, number. Absolutely. We'll see you then at 3 o'clock on BC1. Yeah. Thanks so much. And Barry DeLay will have more on the Canucks' return to play in BC, including the start of training camp. That's coming up later in sports. An update tonight on that alleged rogue Vancouver restaurant accused of holding a large New Year's Eve party despite a ban on social gatherings. Kristen Robinson has more on what went down and why the province's restaurant association is calling for tougher penalties for rule breakers. It's business as usual at cold tea restaurants, disco dim sum. Days after Vancouver police busted an alleged New Year's Eve bash at the Granville Strip Eatery. When one restaurant starts to imperil an entire industry of a $15 billion industry, it's not right. It's not right at all. Cold Tea, which offers indoor dining and fried chicken takeout, opened last year in the former location of a Chinese restaurant famous for allegedly selling cold tea or beer in a teapot after last call which was 8 p.m. on this past New Year's Eve. Three hours later, Vancouver police say officers received a complaint about a private closed-door party at the Granville and Davy restaurant, with food and drinks being served to an estimated 100 guests. The owner-organizer was issued a $2,300 ticket, and the party shut down. So I think everyone in that restaurant should have been fined $2,300. A restaurant should have, be, should have been fined $100,000. This is serious stuff. The head of BC's Restaurant and Food Services Association is furious. He says the last-minute order to stop liquor sales early on December 31st cost two rule-abiding restaurant groups a quarter of a million dollars in lost sales. Cold Tea did not respond to requests for comment from Global News. The industry is now pushing for tougher penalties, including business closures. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Everybody knows you know, what you're supposed to be doing, and it's certainly not having a party on New Year's Eve with 100 people. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A Vancouver Island First Nation is in a 14-day lockdown after declaring a cluster of COVID cases. Security is stationed at the entrance to the Snunamo First Nation in Nanaimo. All other entry points are blocked. Seven active cases of the virus have been confirmed in the community, transmitted by a member of the same household. A shelter-in-place order is in effect until January 15th. Residents are asked to stay at home and only leave for essential trips, including groceries or work. Chief Mike Wise says it was reported that Snunemu Homes hosted New Year's Eve parties. He says all gatherings have to stop and residents must not hold other, visit other households. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at a long-term care facility in Vernon. Interior Health says two residents and two staff members at Creekside Landing have tested positive. Anyone who had close contact with the individuals is in isolation. All visitations to the facility have been temporarily suspended. Residents of a Richmond condo are feeling traumatized and scared, and it's not due to the pandemic. Since November, their building has been the target of repeated suspected arsons. As Paul Johnson reports, the residents feel they'll get no peace until the suspect or suspects are caught. Greg and Miriam now can tell you what it's like living in a de facto crime scene. You sleep with one eye open now. And you would, too, if you'd experienced the last few weeks at 5640 Arcadia Road in Richmond. You'd have good reason to suspect a serial arsonist is on the loose. 
with three suspicious fires just in the past few weeks. The bow fire on November 19th took place in our parkade. The worst was the fire that happened in a boat stored in the parkade, which scorched the siding of the wood frame building and contaminated most of the apartments with smoke. Somebody poured accelerant in the stairwell and lit it on fire. There was also this fire in a stairwell, luckily put out by an alert resident with a fire extinguisher. And on another night, an air scrubber that suspiciously caught on fire. Richmond RCMP have opened an investigation and are appealing to the public for information, which leaves Greg and Miriam going to bed each night, bracing for the fire alarm. We've had no communication from the building owners or the police or anybody really what's going on. So they're not waiting for closure on this most terrifying of housing problems. Their long-planned move out of the neighborhood is happening now. Today, after we talk to you, we're going to head to uh, the, the store and get our packing boxes and stuff, and we're getting out here as soon as we can. In Richmond, Paul Johnson, Global News. An overnight fire has destroyed a church on central Vancouver Island. This is what's left of the sanctuary of the Rastafarian Order Ministry along the Alberni Highway between Nanaimo and Port Alberni. Crews from the Coombs Hilliers Volunteer Fire Department were called to a huge structure fire shortly before 2 o'clock this morning. Seven other fire departments helped battle the blaze. Freedom Cannabis Corp. had applied to the regional district of Nanaimo for a non-medical cannabis retail store license for the now burnt-out site. Fortunately, no one was hurt. I looked out the window and saw huge amounts of smoke and glowing orange and so... I went outside and it was getting really intense and I wanted to kind of get out of the way. No injuries, um, everybody made it out safe. A polar bear swim that didn't go as planned, likely because it wasn't well planned. Two people managed to escape uninjured after spending two nights in the cold, wet sea-to-sky backcountry in the middle of a raging river. Squamish Search and Rescue was called out last night after learning a man and woman had become stuck on an island in the Mamquim River about five kilometers outside Squamish. It turns out they'd run into trouble on Friday, New Year's Day, when they'd gone for a swim. Darkness and stormy conditions meant searchers had to leave the pair for a second night outdoors before a Swiftwater rescue team and a helicopter crew reached them this morning. Squamish SAR nor the RCMP had any indication that these people were in fact stranded uh, in the, on the river for a couple of days and it was only by happenstance that somebody happened to come across them and notify the RCMP. So I think there's some really good learning here for people um, to file a trip plan, to train for the environment in which they're going and to take the essentials in case you get stuck overnight. We're being told to stay close to home, but judging by the lineups at Whistler Blackcomb today, not everyone's obeying that request. At noon today, the lineup for the Crystal Chairlift was hundreds of people long and snaked up the ski run. The viewer who sent us this video says the wait for the first gondola out of the village this morning was even worse, nearly an hour and 40 minutes. Abbotsford police are investigating a tragic incident early this morning on Highway 1 at the Abbotsford-Langley border that's claimed the life of a pedestrian. The highway between 264th and the Mount Lehman exit was closed to traffic for hours as investigators combed the scene. 
Police say just after 4 o'clock this morning, a man was found dead in eastbound lanes after he had been struck by three vehicles. The drivers involved remained at the scene and are cooperating with the investigation. And they're understandably shaken by the incident. Investigators are also trying to confirm the identity of the victim. Police want to speak with any witnesses or anyone who may have dash cam footage of the incident. BC's police watchdog is investigating after an hours-long standoff in the downtown east side ended today with two men in custody. Vancouver police were called to a building near Princess Avenue and Powell Street at around 7 o'clock last night following 911 calls about a man with a rifle. The VPD says an emergency response team member fired at a 32-year-old man when he came out of the suite with a firearm. That suspect was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. A 31-year-old man was arrested early this morning. Both men are facing weapons charges. In Prince George, police are investigating a New Year's Day murder. Officers were called to a home in the 2800 block of 15th Avenue just before 2 o'clock Friday morning. A 50-year-old man was found dead inside. The RCMP's Serious Crimes Unit was, has been called in. Police believe this was a targeted attack. A warning for motorists who regularly use Marine Drive in Vancouver on their daily commute. Starting tomorrow, water, sewer, electrical and road upgrades will begin along a five-kilometer stretch of Marine Drive from Oak Street to Victoria Drive. Construction will be done in phases starting at Fraser Street. That includes replacing an aging water main, sanitary and storm sewer pipelines and upgrading traffic signals. The city says two lanes of traffic will be maintained during peak hours. The project is, project is expected to be completed in December of 2022. Restaurant and bar owners have had to take it on the chin during this pandemic, trying to operate under constantly changing rules and restrictions while trying to stay afloat. So when it came time for a Vancouver restaurant operator to renew his business license with the city, he wondered why, why isn't he able to get a break on the cost? Grace Key has more. I basically get into the restaurant early in the morning and I start to smoke everything. Mark Wicks, owner of Whiskey Six Barbecue in Vancouver, went from a staff of six to one part-time kitchen employee, leaving him to do much of the work for his restaurant and catering business. Right now I'm doing 90% of all the cooking, whereas before I had a chef and a sous chef. Since the pandemic started, his catering and event revenue is down 80%. The restaurant revenue down 70%. Seating has been reduced from 25 to 12. When it was time for Wicks to renew his business license, he was surprised to learn he was paying $1,067, the same amount as last year. I was actually quite shocked that my business license fees remain the same. I'm happy that they didn't increase, but I was disappointed that they didn't actually decrease to account for the fact that Small businesses like mine have been doing everything possible to abide by all the rules and regulations. A statement from the City of Vancouver reads, Council kept 2021 business license fees at the same level as 2020 and did not apply an inflationary increase, which is the typical approach. Over 80% of business license holders pay less than $200 a year for their business license. I would love for them to put themselves in the shoes of mine and other small businesses. A restaurant and other food and beverage establishments usually pay a lot more for a business license as opposed to, uh, say, a retail store or a law firm. And our revenues have been hit a lot harder 
compared to a lot of those other industries. Mark has been working seven days a week, more than 12 hours a day, juggling cooking, serving, bookkeeping, and catering. Like many business owners, he's hoping he'll be able to keep up the pace until restrictions ease up. Grace Key, Global News. More politicians caught not following the pandemic rules. Two Liberal MPs have resigned from their additional parliamentary and government roles after traveling over the holidays. Samir Zubiri has stepped down from his parliamentary committee role after visiting his wife's ailing grandfather in Delaware. He returned to Canada December 31st. Kamal Kara has also stepped down from her role as parliamentary secretary. She traveled to Seattle to be with her grieving family, returning on New Year's Eve. Both failed to notify the chief government whip before traveling abroad. And the two, of course, join a growing list of politicians in hot water after ignoring public health advice to stay home over the holidays. The holiday period is coming to an end, with federal officials announcing tonight Canada has now surpassed 600,000 cases of COVID-19. Despite strict rules, Rules over the holidays in many parts of the country, health experts are worried many Canadians may have chosen tradition over safety. Mike Armstrong has more. Downtown Montreal in lockdown. The city's core deserted in what will be a decisive week. Quebec's new COVID-19 numbers released Sunday are among the worst since the pandemic started. An average of 2,500 new cases over three days. But despite that, they're not quite as bad as many expected. Dr. Gilbert Boucher is the head of Quebec's Association of Emergency Medicine Specialists. I guess it's good in the sense it's not going up, but it's bad in the sense that it's not coming lower down. The question now is where the numbers go from here. Were the lockdown measures effective? In much of the country, people were told to avoid family gatherings, multiple households getting together over the holidays. Well, Dr. Boucher says patients don't admit it at first, but many of the COVID cases he's seeing are coming from family gatherings. Most people had some kind of an exposure, left or right. People believe that nobody's infected in their family, and that's unfortunately not the case. Now, the full impact of Christmas and New Year's is still days away. In Ontario, the lockdown may have helped plateau the numbers, and that plateau is very high, but health officials are watching to see what happens in one or two incubation periods. I'm not discouraged at this point. I've seen it flattening. But again, the true story is going to come out over the next week or so. One problem may be pandemic fatigue. People reaching a point where they let their guard down or break rules. The way to combat that, health officials say, may be to focus on the fact there's now a solution. Vaccines are being rolled out across the country. I'm using that as an inspiration to, to get just get people be a bit more patient because um, going into 2021 and we're there now, we're going to be seeing, I think, the beginning of the end of the pandemic. If the numbers do jump in January, provincial governments will have to look at ways of extending their lockdowns or even expanding them, closing more than what's already shut down. They may also find it's not enough if people aren't following the rules anyway. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. Israel is bidding to be the first country to vaccinate its way out of its way to safety out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Israelis lined up today in Tel Aviv to register to receive their first dose of the vaccine. The country is currently leading the global inoculation effort. The government says it has administered a vaccination dose to more than 10 percent of Israelis, 9 million citizens in just two weeks. 
On Friday, one, the one millionth person was injected with a Pfizer-BioNTech dose. Israel has now vaccinated more than half of the two million people it considers to be at high risk from COVID-19. The Israeli Health Ministry's lead advisor says the country's success is due to its highly organized healthcare system, early contracts with vaccine manufacturers, and government education efforts. As of Thursday, just over 17,000 British Columbians had been vaccinated. The U.S. government has been criticized for its slow vaccine rollout, and now the country has reached another grim pandemic milestone. More than 350,000 Americans have died from COVID-19, and there's growing concern that number will rise even further as infections surge across the country. More than 20 million Americans have tested positive for COVID-19. Former talk show host Larry King is reported to be in hospital with COVID. CNN says King has been hospitalized for more than a week now. The 87-year-old has had medical issues in recent years, including heart attacks, diabetes and lung cancer. He also lost two children in 2020, each within a week of each other. Hospital protocols have, been, have prevented King's family members from visiting him. A shocking recording has been released today. On it, U.S. President Donald Trump appears to pressure Georgia's Secretary of State to overturn election results in his state. The recording comes before a contentious week on Capitol Hill with the Senate up for grabs. Jennifer Johnson reports. Please raise your right hand. As members of Congress are sworn into office, a bombshell recording from the Washington Post of U.S. President Donald Trump apparently pressuring Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find enough votes to overturn his defeat in that state. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Georgia has counted its ballots three times. Each time, Joe Biden won. The recording comes as 11 GOP senators plan Wednesday to challenge the results of the Electoral College, electing Joe Biden as America's next president. We are not acting to thwart the democratic process. We're acting to protect it. We have tens of millions of people that do not view this election result as legitimate. The Department of Justice, FBI, and several court rulings have found no evidence of fraud in the election. Even most Republicans feel the senator's challenge will fail. The reason it will go nowhere is because there's been no evidence of widespread fraud, and that's been determined by Republican and Democratic governors across the country, and so the facts are the facts. God bless you. We love you, Mr. President. In the Washington Post recording, the president also claims his loss in Georgia will hurt two Republican candidates in Tuesday's runoff election, which will determine the balance of power in the Senate. If the two Democrats win, the House, Senate and White House will all be controlled by Democrats, the first time in 11 years. This is a nail biter. And my hope is that Democrats will show up and demonstrate that November is the beginning of a pattern. President Trump clearly still upset about what happened in November, and President-elect Biden planned a campaign for their party's candidates in Georgia Monday. Meanwhile, President Trump's loyalists planned to rally outside the White House Wednesday to support Senate Republicans challenging the election results. The president has tweeted he plans to attend that event. Colleen? Thanks, Jennifer. Thousands of Iraqis converged on Tahrir Square in Baghdad today to commemorate the anniversary of the killing of a powerful Iranian general and top Iraqi militia leader in a U.S. drone strike last year. The crowds demanding the expulsion of U.S. troops from Iraq. And the killing of General Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Muhadis pushed Tehran and Washington perilously close to all-out war. 
Then five days later, Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 was shot down by an Iranian missile, killing 176 people. Almost half of the victims were Canadian citizens or permanent residents. Today's rally was being held amid heightened tensions between Iran and the U.S. in the final days of President Donald Trump's administration. Already, America has conducted B-52 bomber flyovers and sent a nuclear submarine into the Persian Gulf over what Trump officials describe as the possibility of an Iranian attack on the anniversary of the strike at Baghdad airport that killed two leaders. It's amazing anyone survived a plane crash that has destroyed a home in Southern California. Have a look at this. Three people were killed yesterday when a small plane crashed into a house in Oakland. Local fire department confirmed those killed were the pilot along with his wife and son on board the plane. Neighbors say everyone inside the home made it out safely. It sustained catastrophic damage, however. The family was returning home from Canton, Georgia, and were just a kilometer from their destination, the Oakland Southwest Airport. Tragedy in Norway following a massive landslide near the country's capital. Rescue workers have found a fifth body four days after the slide buried homes. Several people have been seriously injured and crews are still looking for at least five missing people. The landslide in the village of Ask is the worst in modern Norwegian history and has shocked residents in the Nordic nation. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Oh, it wasn't just cars that needed rescuing after some wild weather in Peru. We'll show you what happened here right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, we have an update on that dog who found her way to the Burnaby RCMP detachment. Snow is now at the BCSPCA, where RCMP think that she will have a great chance of locating her family in the coming days. Though police admit they already miss her. Snow arrived at the Deer Lake detachment Friday morning cold and scared. She spent two days on the cell block enjoying a meal and walks outside before she was turned over to the SPCA. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure she'll find a family. And I have to say, that's the only kind of snow I like talking about during the weather <laughs> forecast. Absolutely. Uh, for us along the south coast, it's still been falling as rain, but we do have a significant amount of snow to talk about if you're traveling along the mountain passes, and I'll outline that in just a moment. We had a bit of a break today. It was much needed, even some sunshine in the mix. We've got dry conditions out of the airport right now. We're sitting at 8 with the southeasterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. We still have a chance of showers for this evening. We've got a few isolated spots. We'll see that for eastern areas and stretching into the Fraser Valley. But as we get in towards tomorrow, this is the next storm that is on deck. And over the next few days, it's still a series of storms that will parade across the province. So be prepared. There'll be brief breaks in between, but we are going to see a significant amount of rain pushing in once again. And very windy conditions now ahead of this this evening. Uh, the northern tip of Vancouver Island up to 90 kilometers per hour. Wind warning for the eastern edge between 16 up to 80 kilometers. Areas near Haida Gwaii, especially overnight tonight, anywhere between 70 and up to 100 kilometers per hour. We've got the winds that'll pick up. The, some of the strongest ones will be overnight along the south coast, leading in towards the morning hours, and then they should start to ease off as we get in towards the afternoons. But still very blustery for many areas along the south coast, and especially areas that are closer to the water. Now, here's the timeline of the precipitation. It'll pick up overnight, rain heavy at times, windy along the south coast, and it'll be a snow. For many areas, the freezing level is going to drop near the valley bottoms. It'll be snow heavy at times, and 
and then changing over to rain as the freezing level rises through the day. And then we've got another system on deck for Tuesday. A quick glance at what it looks like along the Coquihalla. Do check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. I've included snowfall amounts that'll take us in towards Monday night. So just to give you that range, we've got 20 and up to 25 centimeters. The highest amounts will be along the Kootenay Pass. Allison Pass could see up to 20 centimeters. And if you're heading to Whistler, anywhere between 5 and 15 centimeters. Now, blustery conditions, very wet and windy along the coast. Inland tomorrow, we'll be seeing some snowfall. The northeastern corners with on and off flurries. It'll be snow and then many spots for the central and southern interior will see that transition over to rain. So it's heavy at times for the early morning hours, changing over to rain as the freezing level starts to rise through the day. Whistler looks like it'll stay as snow for most areas with those temperatures close to or hovering the freezing mark and along the south coast. So rain heavy at times overnight and for our Monday should start to ease off to a chance of showers will be in between systems again on Monday night and then heavy at times for Tuesday. Wednesday though, a little bit of a silver lining. It'll be mild. We'll get up to 10 degrees. Colleen? Okay, thanks so much Yvonne. As you can see, we're getting a lot of rain these days, even some evacuation orders yesterday, but nothing that's resulted in this. A man was rescued from his submerged vehicle on Saturday after flash floods hit parts of Peru. The man was pulled up by rescuers after he was found stranded on the roof of his vehicle, submerged in floodwaters. And his wasn't the only vehicle trapped. Crews spent the day digging cars out of the mud. At least 20 properties have also been damaged as a result of intense rains and flash flooding. And there's more rain in the forecast for these poor folks. That's called perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, Incredible. Poor folks. Yeah, not good. Barry, what have you got to cheer us up? We have got, uh, it's been a great day in sports. Yes. If you're a sports fan, of course, last day of the NFL regular season, we have highlights of 10 games coming up, including the Seahawks, and we know who they're going to play in the playoffs. And the Canucks officially started training camp. They weren't on the ice, but we did hear from Travis Green and Jim Benning talking about a couple of issues, so we'll have that as well. So exciting day in the sports world. You may have noticed all those disposable masks littering parking lots, parks, sidewalks. Well, sadly, those aren't the only places they're turning up. According to research by conservation group Ocean Asia, there are 1.5 billion single-use masks in the ocean. And environmental experts are scrambling to identify just how much damage that could be doing to wildlife and ultimately to all of us. Like with many single-use items, additional pollution was inevitable. If you show me people, I'll show you littered masks, I'll show you littered plastic bottles and bags and all that sort of thing. Andrew Wonderly of the Charleston Waterkeeper says the most common misconception is that disposable face masks are made of cloth when they actually are woven plastic, making them detrimental if left behind. And from there it works its way you know, into the, the fish that we eat, the shrimp, the oysters and all those Uh, little species that live in our marsh and use the marsh as as nursery and critical habitat. And it's more than just disposable masks. The gloves are especially bad. They look a lot like a plastic bag does, which looks a lot like a jellyfish does, which means that they're food for, you know, fish, for turtles, for anything else that's out there. Wonderly says an easy alternative to keep yourself and the marine life safe is to use reusable fabric masks and to watch your waste. These estuaries, these rivers, and these creeks are really the point of first contact for this pollution to make it into the ocean. If we can stop it here, we can stop it from impacting the ocean. Learn more about Alzheimer's this January. 
January is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Join the Alzheimer's Society of BC and help change the future for people living with dementia and for caregivers. Visit alzbc.org future to learn more. Nominations for the YWCA Women of Distinction Awards are now open. Help celebrate the people and organizations that are making a difference across Metro Vancouver by nominating today. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Let us get you there. Global News. Navigate the now. Barry's here with sports, and uh, I know you're having a good day, and I'm sure hockey <laughs> fans are too. Yeah, my thumb's a little sore from the remote, but <laughs> these are the things you have to go through. Yeah, we'll start with hockey, get to the NFL in a moment. Thanks, Colleen. The Canucks have bolstered their blue line on the eve of their first training camp ice session. Travis Hamanuk will join the team on a professional tryout, but there is no doubt he will sign here. He has to quarantine for seven days uh, coming in from Winnipeg before being allowed to practice with the team. But to get a solid veteran defenseman in this compact season is a valuable commodity for the Canucks. Looking at our schedule you know, once we get going here, it seems like we're going to be playing every second night here, 56 games in 116 days um, with the travel and stuff. We just thought that, you know, he's an experienced player that, you know, he can come in and help us. So I'm excited that, you know, he chose to come in and, and uh, sign a PTO with us because I think, you know, he's going to help, you know, with our back end and uh, help us develop our young players. You know, he's a veteran guy that's been in the league a while, plays, has played a lot of hard minutes. Uh, minutes that go unnoticed. And, uh, you know, with the schedule, you're going to need you're going to need depth. Uh, and from the coaching standpoint, we're excited that he's coming to camp. Now, Travis Green enters this season in the final year of his contract. With the success the Canucks have had under Green, the Canucks definitely want to sign him to an extension. The uncertain financial landscape because of COVID has prevented that extension from being done already, but it will get done, insists Jim Benning. From a development standpoint, our young players have continued to get better under him every year. Uh, we think he's the right fit for this group and our group moving forward. Well, Jim and I have had good conversation. Uh, you know, I haven't hidden the fact that I, uh, it's an exciting time to be a Canuck right now. I haven't hidden that I want to be here long term. I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of what we are as a team and where we're going. And, uh, you know, with, with our conversations with Jim, I'm, I'm fine with where we're at right now. And, and hopefully we can work things out and I can be here for a while. Well, the Seahawks still had designs on the top seed in the NFC when the day began, but they needed to beat the 49ers and then hope both the Packers and Saints would lose their games. First things first, Seattle needed to get past the 49ers, who will not be going to the playoffs this season, but always a tough divisional game. Russell Wilson, 4,000 yards plus passing this season. Second quarter, he will connect with DK Metcalf, and with that catch, Metcalf breaks Steve Largent's single-season yardage record for a receiver with 1,200 91 yards. Then on the same drive, this catch by Tyler Lockett is his 95th of the season. That's a new franchise record breaking Doug Baldwin's mark. It led to a field goal. 6 nothing Hawks. The defense played strong again. K.J. Wright absolutely stops Kyle Juszczyk in his tracks. That fired up the Hawks' defense even more. San Fran got a field goal, 6-3 Seattle at the half. But the 49ers woke up in the second half, dominated both sides of the ball. 
highlighted by this incredible one-handed catch by their uh, Pro Bowl tight end, George Kittle. San Fran led 16-6 early fourth. It didn't look good for the Seahawks, but then they came to life. Seattle had just three yards total offense uh, up to this point in the uh, second half, but they drive the field. Wilson to Tyler Lockett for the touchdown. Missed the extra point, but it's now 16-12. Now, this is not good news. Seahawks star safety Jamal Adams on the blitz gets blocked in the shoulder area, did not continue. Hopefully, this is not serious, but he looks very dejected on the bench. Seahawks offense keeps coming. Fourth and goal. Game on the line right here. Wilson to who else? Tyler Lockett. Great catch on that throw. It's his 100th catch of the year. Second TD of the game. 1916 Seahawks. And then, after a 49ers fumble, Seahawks go in again. Alex Collins for the touchdown as the Seahawks hold off San Francisco 26-23 and Seattle finishes the season 12-4. Would it be good enough for the top seed? Seattle needs help from the Bears who were motivated to beat the Packers. If the Bears win, they're in the playoffs. Of course, the Pack want that number one seed. Aaron Rodgers to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. It's a 72-yard touchdown and the Packers were up front 14-10. Aaron Rodgers cementing his MVP season with four more touchdown passes today. A team record 48 for the season. This one to Devontae Adams and the Pack take it 35-16. So they clinch the top seed with a 13-3 record and a first-round bye. Meanwhile, Saints and Panthers, Drew Brees without his entire running back core due to COVID, but it didn't matter. Brees, an eight-yard touchdown strike to Emmanuel Sanders, 13-7 for the Saints and New Orleans would roll in this one as Breeze will find Austin Carr, third touchdown pass of the game for Breeze and the Saints Breeze past the Panthers to win it 33-7. They finish 12-4, so they're the two seed in the NFC. Seahawks get the third seed. More games, Cards and Rams. Arizona wins, they're in, but star quarterback Kyler Murray injured early first quarter, meaning former Winnipeg Blue Bomber Chris Strebler comes in. Strebler off to a good start, little shovel pass here to Jonathan Ward, and he takes it in for the touchdown, and Arizona leads the Rams 7-0. But in the second quarter, Strebler going for the deep ball. He is way off the mark. He's picked off by Troy Hill, and worse, Hill takes it all the way back, 84 yards for the touchdown. The Rams were without their starting quarterback, Jared Goff, who broke his thumb last week versus the Seahawks, but the Ram defense did the job. 18-7 the final. They're going to the playoffs. The cards are out. Now still in the NFC, the Giants at 5-10 and and the 6-9 Cowboys, amazingly, both still alive to win the NFC East. In the second quarter, Daniel Jones to Dante Pettis in New York with the 33-yard touchdown there, have a 20-6 lead. But the Cowboys would rally Andy Dalton with the chance here for the go-ahead score, but kind of throws it up for grabs and pays the price. Xavier McKinney with the pick. 23-19 Giants win. So now they have to hope Washington loses tonight to the Eagles. And speaking of that, let's go there. Alex Smith and Washington. They win. They win the division. They lose. The Giants go to the playoffs. Alex Smith to Terry McLaurin, who gets both feet down for the touchdown. 7-0 for the Washington football team. This game back and forth. The Eagles find young quarterback Jalen Hurts in for Carson Wentz the past few weeks. Maybe the Eagles would be in a place to win this had they gone to him earlier. But it's now 17-14 Washington, very late 
in the first half. So we do know a few of the NFC matchups. The Seahawks are going to get the Rams at home Saturday, 140 start. So Seattle starting at home against the Rams. Bears will play the Saints. And the other NFC game, it'll be the Bucks versus either Washington or the Giants. Green Bay gets the first round by. All right, to the AFC. Baker Mayfield and the Browns needing to beat the Steelers to make the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. Third quarter, Mayfield to Austin Hooper for the touchdown, and it's 17-9 Browns. Now, Abbotsford's Chase Claypool having an incredible rookie season for the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger sitting this one out for the to rest for the playoffs, so Mason Rudolph at quarterback, and Rudolph looking for Claypool on fourth and ten, and Claypool with an incredible catch here as he uh, outduels the defensive back, reaches around, showing the strong hands there to bring it down. His 11th touchdown of the season also set a Steelers rookie record with 62 catches this season. What a year for Chase. Steelers had a chance to tie the game late fourth, going for two, but the pass is incomplete, and the Browns finally end the drought. First time they're in the playoffs since 2002. 24-22 the final today. Baltimore Ravens at Cincinnati. If the Ravens win, they're in the playoffs, and this one was never in doubt. Baltimore looking real good. Lamar Jackson, 43 yards to Miles Boykin. 38-3 the final for the Ravens. So Baltimore is playoff bound, finishing at 11-5. Dolphins and Bills. Miami needing a win in Buffalo to clinch a playoff spot, but that was a tall order. These Bills are for real. Josh Allen, so good at quarterback, 14 yards to Isaiah McKenzie, 14-3 Buffalo. McKenzie had a big day, three touchdowns, including a punt return uh, for a touchdown. Here, Allen will go 32 yards to John Brown as Buffalo sews up the number two seed in the AFC behind the Chiefs, hammering the Dolphins 56-26. So with that Dolphins loss, the door is open for the Colts, who have to just beat the 1-14 Jags and Indy is in. It was more of a struggle than you would have thought but they put it away late. Jonathan Taylor ran for over 200 yards. This 45-yard touchdown seals it. 28-14 the final. They finish at 11-5. They're in, and the Dolphins are out. So the AFC matchups look like this. It'll be Indianapolis and Buffalo. Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. That is Sunday at 5:15. The other matchup, the Ravens and the Titans, and Kansas City gets the first round bye. And that is it for sports. I take a a breath now, yes. Okay, we know stereotypes are often wrong. I mean, take grandparents, for example. It used to be when you thought of a grandparent, you thought of someone retiring to a rocking chair. But as Squire Barnes found out, that is an outdated notion that has nothing to do with our modern lives. According to author Ian Haysom, this is what the modern grandparent looks like. I think our grandparents used to sit and watch us a lot. Well, now we're expected to go and run with them and jump with them and swim with them and everything else. Back in the day, most grandparents didn't act like this. They had to work so physically hard in their lives that they didn't have time or the inclination or the energy to do this type of thing. Well, I, uh, I ride a bike, I run on my treadmill, I walk with a friend, I was playing tennis with my grandchildren this morning. My grandparents would have done none of those things. Are you guys more fit than your grandparents were? Uh, oh, definitely. Definitely? <laughs> yeah. How come? 
Well, just because we're all more. We're, we're all boomers, and boomers always refuse to grow up anyway. The baby boomer generation is also this generation, which specialized in bending and breaking old rules and expectations. So it stands to reason they would do the same as grandparents. I think grandparents, our grandparents, um, were, were a lot less involved than we are. We're involved all the time. Um, you know, we get to play with them. That's my, the fun part. We get to, to play like kids again. Boomers are the generation that replaced the word old with the word classic. That's not an old car. It's a classic car. That's not old music. It's classic rock. But for some, becoming grandparents is the one thing that makes growing old or growing classic, if you like, easier to deal with. Um, it is a moment to savor every moment. I said recently that uh, to somebody that uh, um, being a grandfather is actually worth growing old for. Oh, and we should note, in case you, you don't know, that is Paul's dad and our old news director. And not old. Looking form. fit as a fiddle, I might add. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks great. He looks great. He's a lovely man. Happy <laughs> New Year, Mr. Hasem. Uh, that's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes. Good night.